We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's good, everybody? We got a brand new episode of Seahawks Man to Man. This is all brought to you by The Athletic. My name is Christopher Kidd. You can follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206. And of course, you know, we're not going to even ask Mike where you can follow him because you know, blue check, the whole gambit, you get it. But Mike, man, what is up? We got an important game coming up on Sunday against the not, well, not we, the Seahawks, excuse me, have an important game coming up on Sunday. So, man, what is really good? Well, you know, home stretch. Here we go. Uh, when the schedule came out uh, in April, I really thought that this Seahawks Niners game on Sunday would mean a lot more than it does. Uh, it still has some meaning for Seattle, but it means absolutely nothing for the 49ers, which is pretty surprising considering they just went to the Super Bowl. Well, in that case, you guys know what it is. This is a this is a game that I think matters for the Seahawks just from the standpoint of Remember that Jets game, Mike, when everyone was saying, oh, this is a tough one, this is a tricky one. They're haven't, they haven't won a game, but ultimately the Steelers have to go out and prove that they have, they're taking the next step to be a team that should be a contender for a Super Bowl or a playoff team that can make a deep run. And now you look at the Niners, they're not playing for anything but just a Week 17 game. That's really what it comes down to is their final game of the season. They have nothing to lose and nothing really to gain. How important do you think this game even is for the Seahawks moving forward, especially when you look at that Jets win a few weeks ago? Uh, well, I mean, the, the Jets win was important just because they beat the snot out of somebody. And, you know, style points do matter, contrary to popular belief in the NFL. The difference is in college, style points are like they impact your ranking to get in the bowl game, which is a bit more like easy to identify, whereas – uh, in the NFL, style points really just influence your point differential, uh, which doesn't have any like physical bearing, but your point differential says who you are towards the end of the year. Um, I don't have all the point differentials pulled up in front of me, but I mean, if, let's say if you're a 13-3 and three team heading into the, the postseason and your point differential is like 20, like plus 20, and then if you're a 13-3 and three team and your point differential is plus 100, Right, it's a big sample size. I can t- I can tell you that if the plus one hundred team played the plus twenty team, they'd probably smoke them, which is pretty much what happened last year with the 49ers and Packers. Right, P- Packers were pretty fraudulent. 
the Niners were not, and I, uh, the Niners had like a slightly better record, if not the same record. And what do you know? It blew the doors off of those guys in the NFC title game. So I think that's it, it's it's that's part of the reason the Jets game was so important because they smoked them this week. I don't think they'll really smoke the 49ers, but I mean, the one seed is on the line, which is what the 49ers had last year. So I guess to bring it back to how I opened the show, this game does have the same significance, uh, at least similar significance as last season's regular season finale in that Seattle could potentially be the number one seed by the time the game is over. And because that's technically on the line with some other stuff that needs to break their way, I mean, the game's massive, right? Like, Seattle's never made it to the Super Bowl without home field advantage, right? Even in a year with no fans, just having that first-round bye and playing at home, knowing you were the best team in the conference, like, that just does so much uh, for a team heading into the postseason. My Another thing that came to mind was the offense, and just they haven't been the same in quite some time, and we can point out a few things that have gone wrong, but ultimately... Can the offense get back on track against this banged-up Niners defense? We saw what the defense has done. They're playing lights out, and I expect them to do so on on Sunday against the Niners. But can the offense find their rhythm, find their groove, or Russ throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns? Or are we kind of getting accustomed to seeing Russ throw for 200 yards, maybe a touchdown or two? You know, the offense is, is pretty interesting. And even though the Niners are banged up, like, man, the Niners, like, I know this isn't exactly what you asked, but, like, the Niners' defense deserves some credit, man. Like, they really have had perhaps the worst injury luck of any team in the NFL this season. Just on that side of the ball, I know other teams have had bad luck with their quarterback, which is perhaps more impactful than any individual defensive player injury. But the Niners right now are, like, sixth in defensive DVOA right now. Like, Jesus Christ, with all those injuries – like they're really like pulling something, stringing something together. That's really impressive. So even though the team has nothing to play for, like that doesn't mean the game will not be tough. I mean, look at what happened with Arizona last Saturday. That would Arizona score twelve points. I mean, with the playoffs on the line, like that's that's pretty crazy considering all the things that the Niners are going through and don't have to play for. So I think it's legitimate to be worried about Seattle's offense right now i mean they're not putting up points like they were they're not exploding downfield which i think uh really is when you get to the core of it the biggest issue quandre Diggs, uh seahawks free safety after the game was like you know if you keep the explosive plays down you keep the points down and he was referring to how their defense thinks yeah uh not but it's a it's a relevant comment a comment in you know regards to seattle's offense if you keep the explosive plays down he's correct it is hard to score, right? It's hard to methodically go up the field um, against any NFL defense. I don't care who it is. It's hard to methodically do that consistently, you know, to get eight yards or nine yards, like boom, 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 boom. Every play. It's really hard to do that, right? Which is why if you can just hit like a 40-yarder, you know, then boom, that your offense is way more dangerous, right? Because that opens up other stuff. And I think the, the Jets game, or excuse me, what happened against the Rams this last week was a great example Right, like they couldn't do anything. Offense stunk. What do you know? They hit a forty-five yard bomb to David Moore, then you score. Right? And even after the game, Pete Carroll and, and Russell Wilson was both like, Yeah, I know that play changed things for us. Like, well, yeah, of course it did. Explosive plays change things, which is why they're so important. Um, so 
You know, MP in Seattle, uh, excuse me, San Francisco runs a very similar defense to Seattle in that it's designed to limit those, right? Like, we're going to run a scheme where we're only going to rush four guys. We're going to make sure our corners stay on top of you, and we're going to have somebody roam in the middle of the field to make sure you don't hit no explosive plays over the middle. Uh, so, and teams have been taking that away, whether with their cover three or their cover four or whatever, cover two, uh, whatever. So, I am legitimately worried, you know, about that side of the ball because when they're not exploding upfield with those Tyler Lockett plays, with those DK Metcalf plays, shoot, even with David Moore, you know, when they don't have those, they're not as dangerous. And when you don't have those, your your margin for error is so much smaller. Yeah. Right? Like, you got to – you have to be you can't you can't afford like a sack. You can't afford a drop pass. You can't afford uh, you know, a blown assignment, a blown pressure, or you Russ can't afford to throw it away, but it ends up intentional grounding. Those are all the things that have happened over the last like month. And when you have to methodically move up the field, those 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 mistakes, you know, those hurt even more. So we'll like that this is still gonna be a big challenge. Even though the Niners stink, like and they're losing them, they're missing like a million guys. This will still be a really big challenge for them offensively. I just look at the Seahawks passing game, what Russ was able to do. He threw for, what, 197 yards against the Rams, only 121 against the Washington football team, had a solid day with the Jets at 236, Giants at 216, Philly 225, Arizona 182, I was so accustomed to seeing him throw for about 250 and comfortable with him doing it that now seeing the Seahawks offense not hit 250, 300 yards is is somewhat of concern. I think you hit on the fact that they're not getting those deep plays. DK in those games, he's not having his usual game where he has eight or eh, seven or eight catches for 90 yards. He's having three catches for 70 yards. And He's missing that, well, actually not even 70, maybe 50 yards. He's missing those big plays, and hopefully against this Niners team, they can hit on it. But ultimately, you mentioned how well they're playing with all the pieces that they're missing. Jason Verrett, a guy that you're probably going to bring up, I'll bring him up for you. He's going to be ready for this matchup because he just faced D-Hop on last Saturday, and he actually fared pretty well against him. And now DK's coming in. What are we expecting with this matchup between these two, considering that, yes, the Niners' defense has been playing pretty well. You know, I'm going to contextualize what you said about Russ, because I think it's a really important point. Um, you know, in weeks one through nine, right, so that takes you from the season opener in Atlanta to the Buffalo game, Yep. Russ was averaging, he was netting 298 yards uh, mm. through the air, you know, per game, and averaging 8.9 air yards per pass attempt, right? Had 28 touchdowns versus eight interceptions, averaging just 8.6 yards, you know, per attempt. Those are really, really great numbers. Those are like, and he had a pass rating of 117. Like, those are some really solid numbers, you know, through the first nine weeks, and which is why, even though he was not great against the Cardinals or the, or the Bills, he was still putting a point, right? I think they put 34 up in, you know, both of those games, you know, that they lost. In weeks 10 to 16, Russ is kind of crashing down to earth. He's down to 6.6 yards per attempt. He's only thrown 10 touchdowns, right, with five picks. Uh, let's see, what's the average? He's netting only 195 yards you know, through the air. That's a big difference from 298. Like, and he's averaging 8.2 air yards per attempt, so he's still pushing it downfield at a similar rate. Uh, but yet to contextualize the, the numbers that are the statement you made, yeah, like the numbers bear it out. Yeah. The drop-off has not only just been like, oh, you know, defenses catch up to offenses. No, damn all that. 
he is significantly less effective and efficient throwing the ball um, than he was, you know, earlier in the season. Yeah, that's – I don't want to – I sound like I'm coming off as a Debbie Downer, especially considering what the Seahawks just did by capturing the NFC West title and still having an an opportunity to get the one seed. But I think that's just something to look at moving forward, especially when we harp on the fact that this Niners defense is still playing lights out considering their whole entire team is pretty much out with injuries. And I do want to get to Jason Verrett, though, because, again, I did mention previously that he played pretty damn well against DeAndre Hopkins – what are you expecting in this matchup between Jason Verrett and DK Metcalf? And so the Seahawks are like, excuse me, the Niners are like the Seahawks in that. Like they don't usually have one guy follow another guy um, or the opposing team's receiver all over the field. But those matchups are still very important when they do happen, right? Because look at what did DK do against the Niners the first time, right? He had 12 catches for 161 yards and two touchdowns. It was yep. quite literally the best regular season performance he has ever had. And he did most of that damage against Emmanuel Mosley, uh, who was the number two corner, you know, at the time. Right? Uh, I think he plays on the right side, right side of the defense, that is. So the offense is left where DK tends to line up. You know, I don't think that he'd be able to barbecue Verrett like that. Could he catch it on him? Of course, right? DK can catch the ball on, on anybody, apparently except Jalen Ramsey. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, actually, that's not fair to DK. He has six catches on Jalen. Oh, no, he had five on Jalen, I think, in 2019. He only has one this year on three targets. We get it, so though, Mike. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. But uh, can, he, can, he, can he beat up on uh, Jason Brett, who I tweeted this earlier in the week. Yo, he deserves some love for a comeback player of the year. I know Alex Smith is going to win it going away. I'd, I'd be very surprised if anyone else even got a vote, right? Mm. Just because of how, like, we as a society have attached ourselves to the Alex Smith story because it is, like, made for a documentary or a movie um, in terms of how many surgeries he had on the leg and how gruesome it was. We had 17 surgeries. I get all that. That is fine. I don't I'm not mad. Anybody wants to vote for Alex. If I had a vote, though, man, it'd be really hard to not give it to Jason Verrett considering all the injuries they've had. Considering how many he's had in his career, I think he hasn't played in like four years or something like that. Three or four years. Crazy. With something new. Yeah, with knee, Achilles. Like, he just – and then, boom, he's, he's solid this year on a top ten defense. Right? I think playing well factors into that award, or at least it should. Right? Like, Alex is a great story. Like I said, it's probably going to be baby. It's like a 30 for 30 or something. Right? But – Jason's actually playing well. Like, Alex is just, like, okay, you know, for that Washington offense, which isn't great, right? And, and, you know, I can make the same argument for someone like Trent Williams, um, you know, on the Niners as well, who had to miss last season. uh, Something related to cancer, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Like, these are are pretty, like, crazy stories, too, for guys to come back and then play well. Not just play, uh, but then play well, all right? So I'm really excited, actually, for – all of the times that DK goes against any of these corners that Seattle has, or excuse me, that the Niners have, they won't have Richard Sherman. But like as you just mentioned, they, there's no back down in the Niners' defense right now. They had a little bit of a letdown against Dallas. I haven't watched that game, but uh, when you give up a 40 ball, like I believe they did, clearly you guys went on your A game. But <laughs> you know, you can you kind of get the sense from these guys like they're still playing for pride. Right, like Robert Sala has a defense still feeling like they're playing for something. Hell, even if they're only playing for him or playing for their wives and kids or whatever. Like, they just have a reason to go out there and ball. Um, and Verrett's one of those dudes. Um, I think Akilah Witherspoon is going to be on the other side. Like, just how they play DK in general 
is going to matter a lot because what DK did is the reason why they were smoking the Niners in in, in week eight. Yeah, right. Like they couldn't they couldn't guard that man, and we'll see what happens on Sunday. But I'm always interested to see how DK matches up against dudes who are who are playing well, right? Because what what does Richard Sherman always say? Still sharpens steel, iron sharpens iron, or whatever. Like this this is one of those you know type of moments. Even though Jason Verrett's not like a shut down guy like a Tredavious Wyatt or something like that, J- Jalen Ramsey, he still can ball, and DK needs to ball out, or their offense is going to look like, you know, mediocre, as it has the past, like, what, four weeks. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And speaking of mediocre, let's just talk about Tyler Lockett. He has been he has been mediocre. His last good game, I'd say, was mm, probably between the Giants and Arizona. At least in Arizona, he got in the end zone. He had nine catches for 67 yards against Arizona. And then against the Giants, he had six catches for 63 yards. Outside of that, he's been MIA. And we talked about it off wax after we recorded on Sunday about Tyler Lockett just not being involved. And there's got to be a way that the Seahawks can get him in space. I mean, we talked about it that he is not the most shifty guy. And if he's not getting the ball 30 yards deep, if that's taken away, the underneath game just becomes an issue. It becomes a challenge for him because he doesn't make guys miss to a magnitude of a DK or, well, actually DK just runs through at that point. But you get where I'm coming from. What can the Seahawks do to try to get – what do you think the Seahawks should do to try to get Tyler Lockett involved? We came up with ideas to get DK involved, and the Seahawks haven't sent us the gear yet, but what can the Seahawks do to get T-Lock involved? You know, again, to contextualize some of the, the points you're making, like Tyler, you know, not even just individual games. If I want to just break down the whole, like I think in the first – I'm going to use the same parameters as Russ, right? Because I yep. think Tyler's kind of impact or lack thereof has correlated with Russ's and Russ's struggles and the whole offense is kind of, you know, fall back down to earth. In the first nine games uh, of the season, or at least through week nine, that's only eight games, but it's through week nine. Uh, he had 
Tyler, that is 13 explosive receptions, which uh, are 16, uh, catch up 16 or more yards, right? 13 of those, which is crazy. He had five in that uh, first Arizona game alone, right? That means you're balling. And Tyler, when he's going deep, like the whole team is just really, really hard to stop, right? So in weeks 10 through 16, so it's a seven game sample, Tyler only has six explosive receptions, right? To cut that number in half. So, I mean, I think. That tells it all right there. When he is not beating teams down the field, right, it just makes – it messes everybody up. It makes DK harder, uh, easier to guard. It makes Russ and the offense easier to defend. It probably creates a conundrum for Shoddy while he's up there in the box uh, calling plays. So I don't think he's as easy to scheme stuff up for as someone like a DK or shoot even like a David Moore. But I just think it's a matter of execution. You know, like him and he and Russ got to be on the same page. You know, Tyler, uh, let's see, Russ took a deep shot to Tyler in week 10, didn't land. Uh, he took two deep shots to Tyler, actually, didn't hit either one of them, right? One he threw in a triple coverage, one Russ just overthrew. Russ tried another one to him against the Rams uh, in week 16, overthrew it. I think he tried one against Washington as well that didn't land. Like, there's just, those have to land. It really is just that, that simple. I don't think it's like the DK one where we can kind of like break down, you know, move him this way, get him on this type of route. Or whatever it is, quite literally, the stuff that you guys are missing, Russ and Tyler, you got to start hitting it. And if you want to be a dynamic, dangerous offense at the most important time of the year against elite defenses, then you're going to have to hit those because it's not enough for Tyler to just average, you know, seven yards a reception, which is what he had against the Cardinals in week two or in the round two, seven yards a reception against Philly. You know, it went up to 10 against the Giants and then 10 against the Jets, but back down to eight against the Washington football team. You know, Tyler, he's supposed to explode, right? You want him catching a deep cross, a deep post once a game, right, or something. I don't really care what kind of route it is, to be honest. Like, earlier in the year, he was double digits or like nine yards of reception at least every week, even against Buffalo, right? It was 13, uh, or it was at 10. So, I think that he just got to connect on those plays downfield, right? Shadi's got to put his head together with Russ and figure out, like, yo, we're going to scheme this up, and you two needs to execute that joint. Tyler also is one of the, among the league leaders in drops this season. I think he's, like, top five, you know, in drops this year, with more drops this year than he's ever had in his entire career combined. Right? Like, all of that is working against their offense uh, right now. Yeah, hopefully they can – Hopefully he can get back on track with it and they can create space for him, whether it be sending using DK as a decoy, getting Freddie Swain out there, because they have weapons to create space for Tyra Lockett. It's just it has we haven't seen it. And maybe the Seahawks are okay with it. We heard Pete talk about I like what I've seen from the offense. You guys can go with what you want, but I, I love what I'm seeing. We knew it was gonna be this type of game. But when it gets to the postseason and you're playing better teams, I don't know if that recipe will be as successful I do want to hit on a niner that this it could be this could be it for a Richard Sherman who is playing as a, with the 49ers of course but he won't be playing this Sunday is there an opportunity for him to join the Seahawks or an opportunity for him to go elsewhere what's left in the tank for you thinking Richard Sherman you know that's a really good question um, yeah, with with this being like his last hurrah with the Niners, I doubt they re-sign him just because they have a lot of other guys to prioritize. Maybe even guys like Barrett or guys like Trent Williams, right? Like they they just have other dudes they got to figure out. They probably have a ton more that they need to prioritize. 
Um, Sherm's going to be, I think, 32 at the start of next season or 32 in March, uh, that is. So I think he's done in San Francisco, right? And Sherm even said something very similar, I think, in an interview with NBC's affiliate down there. Could he come back to Seattle? I'd like to see it. I don't know the possibility of it. I have to make some phone calls and figure some things out. I'd like to see it because there's a couple reasons. Quinn Dunbar just had knee surgery. All right. He just posted that on Instagram on Tuesday. All right. So we don't know what that's going to look like next season. Right. Quinn's been banged up a lot. When healthy, he's good. But he's been banged up so much in his career. Can a team enter training camp thinking, all right, this is going to be our guy, like our number one guy? That's a legitimate question. Not a talent thing. It's a durability thing. Um, Shaquille Griffin is probably going to be one of the top cornerbacks on the market. Uh, they're going to want to pay top cornerback money for someone like Shaq. That's going to be $17 million, $18 million bucks, right? So let's say you don't have either of those guys uh, next year. So you're, you're talking about entering the offseason or the draft with only four picks, uh, a second rounder, and then some, some day three stuff. Your cornerbacks on the roster that have started games are DJ Reed and Trey Flowers. I don't think that that's like what you want to do. Pete Carroll doesn't really draft cornerbacks that high. Shaq, in fact, is the highest cornerback, highest drafted cornerback of the Pete Carroll era at 90th overall. I'm not counting Marquise Blair because he was drafted as a safety. Like, if you're not willing to draft a premium position uh, at with a tr- with a premium draft pick then you're going to have to pay for it, right? And if you're not going to pay for it with someone like Shaq, all right, we're just going to have to go with what's familiar, right? Maybe you bring in a guy like Sherm. I don't know, bring in Patrick Peterson. I don't know. Uh, bring in a couple old guys and run it, and run it back uh, if, that's, if that's the case. Like, I don't think it would be – I don't know what it would cost to bring Sherm back, but I'm pretty sure it would be a fraction of the cost of what it would to bring Shaq in here, right? Probably like a seven-figure salary – for Sherm versus, like I said, 17, 18, maybe 14 if you tag, you know, Shaq, which is probably what the cornerback tag is, franchise tag is going to be. Like, if those are your options, and and this team is just getting back to playing a bunch of cover three like they were before, that's basically what they're doing now is just lining up in cover three uh, and getting there with four-man rush. I know Sherm can do that even at 32. Right? Even if it's only a year left and you try to build – uh, for the future elsewhere with some late round picks or whatever. Like I would like to see it. I think if you still got Bobby there and you you extend Jamal and you got Quandre and you got Sherm in there, I just think that's a I'm I'm ready to see that run. That's a good run uh right there that they can have. So if they keep Carlos Dunlap, they'd have Jay Reed for another year. I mean like if they had KJ in there too, that'd be that'd be wild. You know, just to see that kind of unit you know, back together, that leadership in there, that veteran savvy, like all those cliches that actually mean something. I like to see it. How likely is it? I'm not sure. Right? It depends on how 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 Pete and Sherm feel about each other. Um, they really got to just bury the hatchet. I mean, Sherm said some things on the way out the door yeah. that he may not like. Yeah, he said like play, players were like tuning Pete out, or his his uh his enthusiasm and his messaging has basically a four year expiration date because it's tailored towards a college model where you're, you're filtering guys out every so many years. Whereas in the NFL, if you're with, with him for five, six, seven years, like I ain't trying to hear this same rah-rah junk. Um, and I actually think there's something to that. But it's like, okay, does Pete 
does Pete want that back in the building, right? Because Pete, no, Pete doesn't have a boss, right? So Pete wants you in the building, you get back in the building. Um, so I, I don't know how like likely that part of it is, which is very important. But just from a financial standpoint and a team need standpoint and a fit standpoint, because Sherman's not gonna go, gonna want to go anywhere that doesn't fit what he does well, you know, in his age thirty two season. All of that makes sense to come back here. He's still got the crib here. His homies are still here. You know, Doug still lives here. Bobby, you know, there's there's guys here that he rocks with. You know, Cliff. So all that makes sense. It's just a matter of can him and Pete get in the room and be like, hey man, we're just gonna let bygones be bygones. Ooh, that, I'm so torn between that. I just, he's old, man, and he's he hasn't been the best in health situations, and I get it. It's football. Guys are always going to get banged up. He actually hasn't been on the field, and is that risk worth it next season considering you get Sherman? Well, who's the backup? Now they're placed in the position where you got to trust them to compete and do what they're do, doing, what they're supposed to do. Kind of what we're seeing this season with DJ Reed, Trey Flowers coming in. I just don't know if they can do it again. Of course, they definitely could, but there are there's I think Desmond King, he's someone that they might want to look at. He might be too. I think he's going to be expensive. I was going to say he might be way too expensive, and then another one is William Jackson, who plays for the Bengals, who had that interception. <laughs> yeah, he, he might be even more expensive than Desmond. That's a thing. It's a price thing too. Yeah, so. that that was that that was my biggest concern. Like these dudes might really be looking to get some serious cash, and I think. He might be looking to get somewhere around forty million for just three years, which the Seahawks are like, well, that's what Shaq wants, and that's Seahawks aren't going to cat, you know, aren't going to duel that money out during this time, especially when he's not getting his hands on the ball this season, and he's been dealing with injuries himself. But I do want to look at that number one seed because right now you got Green Bay and the New Orleans Saints who have it pretty much locked up, unless of course they both lose on Sunday. Should the Seahawks just go for it, regardless of what? these guys are doing because ultimately you want to win no matter what you want to put yourself in the best position going into the postseason and if you get land the one seam well you look at that you get a week one you get a not a week one you get a buy that is you get guys that can rest up and get healthy for a big game but personally i say you got to go for it i mean you've mentioned this before it's the postseason you're going to face a good team regardless just be ready to play period yeah, you know, if Pete believes in, like, momentum in a week-to-week thing, and there, maybe there is something to that. I'm not necessarily sure how well momentum translates from week-to-week. And I say momentum in that, like, Pete wouldn't – his team's played well, right? So he wouldn't yeah. want to rest them um, for the sake of resting them for fear of them not being as sharp when they come back. And I think there's so many things that factor into that. Like, some guys need that rest for their bodies, right, whether <laughs> they're playing well or not, right? So you have to weigh that excuse me, in individual circumstances. I'm with you, though. Because of what the one seed means, right? I think this format where the seven teams get in, I bet you we see the... It's going to be tough because there's no fans. Yeah. So that, that, that throws the math off a little bit, right? But in a situation where there are fans in the stadiums, like a normal year, and the only the one seed has the first round by, we're going to see the one seed go to the Super Bowl like 90% of the time. Mm. Nine times out of ten, probably. If if this format stays the same and you have fans, it just it just increases your odds so much by not having to play that first week and being rested and then only playing games at the crib. So because of how valuable I think that is, you got to go for it, right? And I think some scoreboard watching can be done too. You know, you uh, you play your guys, you play Russ, play your whole line, Jamal, Bobby, you know, everybody, play everybody. And then, you know, if – you, guys, you look at your phone, Pete looks at his phone and halftime is like, oh, damn. 
the Bears is down 20. And he looks at his, he looks at his, because uh, that's what the games are, for those who don't know. Like, the Bears are playing the Packers. The Packers lose, then Seahawks got a shot. But they also need the Saints to lose to the Panthers, right? Yeah. So, and I, I, wrote, I noted this in one of my stories. Like, how, basically, Seattle's chances on the win seed depend on how good you feel about Teddy Bridgewater and Mitch Trubisky. And I don't know about you, Chris, I don't feel good about either of those dudes. But <laughs> it is the NFL and anything can happen. Exactly. So you, gotta, you have to prepare as if you're playing for the one seed. Uh, you just got to do it. And then you can adjust accordingly. So I think it's a lot easier to get the guys ready for it and go out there like you're going for it and being like, hey, guys, all right, cool. Let's just pull y'all off. We This game doesn't matter anymore. Saints are up. Packers are up versus, like, playing the both sides of it or planning to rest them and then you look at halftime and the bears are up 20 and the Panthers are up 20 it's like oh okay full throttle turn it back on right i think it's easier to flip the switch off than it is to flip it on so that's why i would be like yo let's go get the one seed and yeah, let's just let's let's go get this 12th win you know, let's let's go let's go do it and if it but at the same time there are some dudes where they're so valuable that if it looks like it's out of reach you got to pull them Russ being one of them, Bobby being another, Jamal being another, Quandre being another. Like there are some du- DK, Dwayne Brown. It's like okay, if push comes to shove and this game really becomes meaningless and we ain't got no fans out there, protect your b- most valuable asset. So it's there's a balance that needs to be had. But I definitely think they should go into the game thinking let's play for the one seed, another championship opportunity. All those cliches that Pete likes to use. And he told us that earlier this week. He's like, hey, you know, we're going for it. Yeah. We'll see what happens on game day. But as of right now, this was on Monday, as of right now, we're going for it. And I can see why Pete kind of feels that way. All right. I'm going to have you pick which one you want because we're going to do this. We're going to do a game prediction and over under. Which one do you want to go with? You want to go with the game prediction or the over and under? Uh, Probably the over under. All right. You want to stick with George Kittle then? Yeah, that's cool. All right. George Kittle. Over or under 75 and a half yards. Remember, fun fact here. George Kittle don't really go off against the Seahawks when it comes to his receiving. He does not have incredible games. So what you got, Mike? Over or under 75 and a half yards for George Kittle. Have they kept George Kittle in, in check like that? That's mm-hmm. interesting. If they, I haven't looked at his splits versus the Seahawks. I guess I should uh, do that uh, at some point. Let me check that out because he is such a good – I think think he's the best tight end in the league. I know that's saying a lot right now. (laughs) This is the worst time to say that because of Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller. But I just think George is just such a a freaking beast. So let's see. His first year against the Seahawks, he had three catches for 27 yards in two games. Second year against the Seahawks, this is with Nick Mullins. He had nine catches for 121 in two games. Let's see. He only played in one of the games last year, had seven catches for 86. It's a decent game. Uh, this year when he got hurt, he had two for 39. But I think he didn't even get that second catch until the fourth quarter when Nick Mullins was in. And he's never scored against the Seahawks. Wow, that's really impressive numbers uh, for a team that historically has struggled against tight ends. That said, <laughs> I, will take, I will take the over. Okay. Take the over on it. That's yeah, fair. Take the over. Because there's, a, there's this thing with, with quarterbacks who aren't like, how do I want to describe C.J. Beathard without totally insulting him? Um, okay, whatever. Guys who just aren't very good tend to just force feed or only look to the best player, right? You look at, like, teams that when the Saints don't have Drew Brees, right? It's like, all right, cool, I'm going to just go to Michael Thomas. 
right? Or <laughs> yeah, you know, any team that has like a star, like if Sean Watson miss a game, you know, they're just going. Uh, I guess D Hop ain't there no more. But you get my point. Like when there's a star and he's the best dude, when there's a backup in, he's like, hey, let me just get it to this dude because he's gonna make my life easier. So, um, and I think they play college ball together too. Um, so I'm gonna count on C.J. Beathard just forcing. Uh, George Kittle to get them numbers up. And George is still really good after the catch, too. So yes. even if CJ ain't throwing it down the field, right? Even if he is dumping it to him 60 yards from the line of scrimmage, that could easily be a 12 yard gain because George is a monster. Uh, so I'll take the over on that. That leaves me with a freaking game prediction. Appreciate that, Mike. I've, I knew you were going to do that, but whatever. I will say the Seahawks win, and I'm going to go with a score of 28 to 10. Hopefully the defense continues doing what they're doing and the offense finds a groove and they're able to put a stamp on it, go into the regular season on a nice win streak and on fire on both sides of the ball. What do you say to that? 28 to 10, that'd be a freaking beatdown. I mean, that's kind of what it should have been that first <laughs> game, to be honest. Uh, Jimmy G was playing on that bad ankle and then Nick Mullins came in and Seattle forgot how to play defense. Yeah. But, and they were smoking them really before that. You know, I'm not as confident as you in the offense on the Seahawks side. I would, I wouldn't, I don't expect them to get over 23 points. Damn. I'd probably say something like 21, um, maybe less, uh, <laughs> depending on how the run game goes. But I'm with you on a win. I'm with you on a win. I'm with you on them covering what I think is a five and a half uh, point spread. Oh, there you have it. And Mike always says never gamble. I'm not saying you should listen to what I said in regards to. You know, taking the spread there, but I do have, in fact, have the Seahawks winning. Mike, is there anything you want to add before we get out of here, man? I just appreciate, well, yes, just appreciate uh, all you guys tuning in, uh, listening. Uh, you know, if you have any thoughts uh, on everything that we just said, especially Sharon coming back. I'm really interested in what everybody thinks about that. Like, are they for it? Is the bridge burned? Not, not whether they think it will happen, just do, do they want to see it? Do they want to see 25 come back? And you know, finish out his career in a Seahawks uniform. I think when we talked about like good stories earlier. Oh, I definitely love to see. That. I'm curious if everyone else feels the same way. Perfect. This has been another episode of Seahawks Man to Man. We thank y'all for rocking with us. We will catch you guys after the Seahawks and Niners. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.